This episode's brought to you by Notorious Fire Company. Firefighter owned and operated Notorious Fire Company manufactures and creates quirky and unique items for the fire service. Whether it's your stainless steel water bottles, tumblers, four-in-one koozies, you can decorate your emotional support water bottle with more than 100 different designs they offer so very much. From apparel to swag to stickers, they got you covered. Check them out at NotoriousFire.com. That's N-O-T-O-R-I-O-U-S, NotoriousFire.com. And check them out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at NotoriousFire. And this month with the podcast, if you use coupon code Fire Radio June 2023, that is Fire Radio June 2023, you'll get free shipping on all orders within the U.S. So check them out, NotoriousFire.com. Lenny and the crew, they're making great stuff. And I have to tell you, with the summer upon us, the sticker packs are out of control. You got everything from Star Wars to pinups and everything in between. Slap them on your beer fridges, your coolers, and your tumblers and celebrate the summer in style with Notorious Fire. A good supporter and longtime friend. We're happy to have him on the podcast with us. Check him out, NotoriousFire.com and coupon code FIREADIOJUNE2023 for free shipping all across the U.S. Turn it up, leather. Hey, everybody. Jeremy National Fire Radio. We're back with another podcast on the podcast audio channels today. Ron Smith. I don't know that Ron, this is going to, this is a first for me. And I mentioned this before we started recording. I don't have all these lovey dovey stories by between you and I, cause we really don't have any. I met <laughs> you. Uh, I met you once or two. I met you at FDIC. You hopped in a podcast with Ray McCormack and, and us in the Mercedes textile booth. Before that, I met you at the rescue symposium up in Syracuse. Uh, I think you were doing man versus machine or something like that on the rescue grounds. Right. Yeah, I'm doing um, advanced metal cutting. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, what an incredible conference that is. And maybe we should talk about yes, that too. Um, yep. and, then, uh, and then we've just spoken back and forth a little bit here and there. But between seeing you from afar and watching, because that's what I do, I, I really digest what's happening in the, in the fire service and between social media and conferences and things. Um, I certainly knew that you were a guy that I wanted to get to know and to uh, introduce myself and our platform to you. Because I do know that you have a very big passion for the job and you have an incredible pedigree behind you that allows you to speak about the job. And um, you got 24 years out of Gary, Indiana. Uh, it's an urban center, which I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the, the town or the city and the makeup of the department. Because I, I believe that you guys do uh, a bunch of work and you're probably understaffed and undercompanied and everything else. So uh, <laughs> I'm probably hitting yeah. it right on the head. Um, yep. and so on. But, uh, thank you. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, this is a lot of fun. I got to, like, I, I, I mentioned it in the intro there that I got to meet you at FDIC for maybe the second time. And it was just fun that, you know, a little bit of back and forth. And I know that, uh, you know, that you teach and you travel and, um, you keep, a good group of friends that tend to always be the names that keep popping up in the fire service. And that's what I love. It's the influencers. It's the people that have dedicated their lives, their time, their energy to giving back to the fire service. And I know you do that through your training and so on. So talk to me a little bit about where all that comes from. Maybe a little bit about your career, your journey up through the proby ranks into where you are today. Sure. My, um, 
my biggest drive to be an instructor was the guy that really influenced me to get on the job. He was uh, my, one of my best friend's dads. Uh, he was the chief of department in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's a, it's a urban city. Yeah. Uh, probably about, uh, I don't know what the population is now, probably over 250. Um, good department. Uh, he treated me like family. He was always very nice to me. I, I didn't deserve any of it. Uh, he took me on took me on vacations where I normally wouldn't have went and um, helped me get a couple jobs and just really inspired me. He was an instructor, very well respected in the state. Uh, he didn't travel much outside of the state, uh, but uh, that's why I always wanted to be an instructor. So, okay. um, and that was, it was because of him, because he was, he, he was so well respected. You know, you could just say his name and all the guys around here would know who you were talking about. Right. And that, and that influence from him, though, was that from an early age or is that after you got on the job, he kind of took you under his wing? Or is that where no, no. you is that's where you fell in love with the job? Yeah, well, I, I fell in love with the job when I was a kid, just like any other kid. Okay. Uh, we had a fire in my house when I was seven. Oh, wow. And it was just me and my mom at home. And I put it out with a uh, it was a mattress and some curtains on fire. I put it out with a vase. <laughs> No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Starting early, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, got a lot of time on the job. Yeah. Time. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, and, so there's always been that influence then from, from early on for you. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I met him when I was in, um, I was in, I believe eighth grade. Uh, I met him and that's when it really, really became a, uh, driving force to, to get the, the, the job to make it a career. What an impressionable, impressionable time frame, right? Yeah. Like middle school, yeah. early high school, where you can pick two roads. You can go down the bad road or you can go down the good road. And uh, it, it sounds like uh, you found somebody that was a, a very positive influence in your life that shaped you to probably who you are today, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I give him all the credit. I wish he was still here to, to, so I could tell him some more, but, uh, but he's, he's no longer with us. Okay. All right. Well, and with that, then you, you carry that legacy, you carry the integrity in his character and it's made you who you are. So throughout your career, as you come up through the fire service, then, right, you were saying uh, what you got hired in 91, did you say? Uh, I started volunteering in 91. Oh, started volunteering in 91. Okay. Yeah. And then hired in Gary, Indiana. Is that your first career job? No, no. I started uh, where I started volunteering was a combination department and I got hired full time there and um. Uh, it was early 95 and I was there until 99 when I went to Gary. Okay. All right. So talk to me a little bit about Gary. What's the makeup? What does it look like? Well, so going back to uh, what I said about being an instructor, I've mm. always wanted to be an instructor and, uh, and, you know, be it right or wrong. Uh, every time I went to take a class, I always looked at the back to see where the guy was from. So, um, you know, see where he's from first and then see what he had to say. Uh, so, I always wanted to be someplace that was really busy or really big. And, um, so I used to ride a lot. I used to ride in Chicago, Detroit, um, and, uh, rode in Gary. And so it just so happened that I got, you know, got the job, uh, in Gary, uh, after riding there for quite a few years, it's, um, it's a very socioeconomically depressed, uh, city, uh, a lot of lot of vacant buildings, a lot of very high crime. Uh, it was um, uh, per capita the murder capital of the United States for about ten years uh, throughout the nineties. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, 
add a little, I wouldn't say that it's, I mean, I think things are getting a little bit better, but um, also, you know, it's got such a long, long road to go. Yeah. So many of these Midwestern cities do though, you know, and it's, uh, but it's, it's, I'd like to think that, Many of them are on the upward trend, um, you know, but they are, they're tough towns. And to be a public servant within those towns, um, yeah, it, it certainly adds to uh, experience and, uh, and, the, and the overall uh, growth of yourself as a fireman, no? I mean, you know, working in a tough town, like, I, I think it's interesting, right? You said you like when instructors came in to teach, you would look at the back cover to see where they're from. Do you, does that, that matters? No. Uh, you know what? I think that there's a lot of people from uh, unknown places that have a lot of really good information. It was sure. just, and like I said, it was, you know, it was a little, it was a bias that I had when I was younger. Um, I always wanted to be that, you know, old, tough, salty guy. I didn't want to be old back then, but it, you know, just keep showing up and you, you turn into the old guy, you know, but um, I just, I always wanted to, you know, uh, learn from guys that were doing it. Sure. And, um, but I like think I said, that matters. there's a lot of good, good guys. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, to an extent, like yes. I said, there's a lot of good guys out there that are you know, from, from small towns that are really good at, at teaching. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I just always felt that that was, uh, that was the way I wanted to go. I just wanted to, you know, have, have that, um, um, I guess street cred for sure. lack of a better term. No, I get it. I get it. So what, so where <laughs> street cred. So you walk into Gary, Indiana, it's where yep. now you want to be. This is a town that allows for work. It puts guys to work. You go to fires, you see the very worst and you see some of the best. Talk to me about your early days in Gary. I mean, this is, was it, was the city burning at that time? Was it a, was it a place of, of uh, quantity when it came to call run? Yeah, there was a lot. Um, so we're straight out of the academy. I uh, uh, I did well in the academy, so they they gave me a good spot. Um, I went to um, my current station, which is uh, Fours. Uh, was assigned to the truck, but I didn't get to ride the truck because I was a new guy, so I had to start off on the engine. Um, and uh, it was the the busiest firehouse for for fires at the time. Um, the truck, every time that I worked on the truck, I knew for sure that we were going to go to some sort of job, something, uh, cause we're really close to a highway, um, really good spot, uh, to get around. And we covered the Southern half of the city, Got it. uh, at the time. And so we were, we were going to a lot of work. What, what was the makeup of the department at the time? Right. So how many engines, how many trucks, if you will? So there were, uh, at the time, there were 13 engines. Uh, one was at the airport. We had uh, four truck companies and a heavy rescue squad, which was a, at the time, was a uh, walk-in uh, heavy rescue that uh, did citywide uh, fire duty. Were they putting, so <laughs> that's a good spot to be, were they putting two trucks on the on each box? No, no, um, no, no. We've always had... Um, so for a still alarm, which is what we call a, a, a fire, report of a fire, right? Um, we would get two engines in a truck and the rescue squad. So on a reported and, fire, two, one, and one. Yes. And uh, it's never changed. <laughs> it's still that today. <laughs> yeah, that's still what we get. And, uh, and we used to ride, uh, when I got hired, we were riding four. We had a contract for four on 
everything. And then uh, one of the mayors took us to court and actually won. So we went down to three. So we've been riding three ever since. Uh, that was sometime around 2008, I think, 2007, 2008. Uh, three on everything. So we get about nine people at a fire. Uh, we'll get an ambulance there, which is staffed by firefighters, and they, they go to work too sometimes, depending on the chief, you know. Got it. So in it so <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is this is a fantastic conversation now, right? Because we start narrowing in. Uh, people love to hear how everybody operates. You're arriving at a at a first due box with or a first due still alarm, if you will, reported fire with nine people, two engines, a truck, a rescue, and then uh, I'm assuming a battalion or, or yeah, a battalion chief. Right. So you guys are doing potentially a lot with a little, like most. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, is is it often that you hold hold those fires to a still, or or is it typical that you'll fill it out, meaning you bring in additional companies? No, for some reason, uh, and I think that it's uh, because of the brownouts and downturn um, that uh, the chiefs don't like adding extra companies if they don't really need it. I didn't, a lot of times they they don't think they need it when. That's yeah. That's what I was kind of getting at, right? Is like that's typically the case, and and it's it comes to be like, well, we're gonna hold it with that two and two one and one, and and your guys are you're you're working on your second cylinder. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and it's not uncommon for uh, two three cylinders uh, yeah. out of fire. You guys, are, you guys tough. are are being firemen. Yeah. Yeah. What? So, you know, all these years later now, I believe captain now. I'm sorry. I should have. Yes. yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Captain, that's what I yeah. thought. I just want to make sure I had it written down. Um, so in that position, I mean, you're a working boss then. This is not a point the flashlight open up here type position. I mean, this is <laughs> no. right. I mean, seriously. Right. Because yeah. people people like to really understand how this works. I wanna, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago with Sean Egan out of Buffalo, and he was very candid about how they ran their truck companies and what they did well, what they didn't do that well and, and where their priorities are. And people got a lot out of that because they could relate to a real conversation instead of a paper conversation that says, well, the book says this, so this is how we operate. Meanwhile, it's a load of shit, right? So like yeah. the, the real conversation is, is that when you're, when you're going in with nine people on a fire and it's a room of contents or two rooms off, you're dealing with nine people. That's what you got. Oh yeah. Yep. And so, uh, realistically, and so that one thing that I can tell you for sure is our truck company, um, has changed quite a bit because of the staffing. So a lot of times, um, they'll just do, um, typically a search or, or overhaul is, is their primary function. Uh, we almost never go to the roof anymore, uh, simply because we lost that fourth person on the rig. Yeah. And that's what it was. Um, for us, we, we had, um, you know, the, the uh, chauffeur and the guy behind him would go to the roof. And so since we lost that extra guy, they don't like sending somebody to the roof alone. So uh, typically they just, you know, it's the officer and the uh, fireman behind him that go do the, the search, forcible entry and what. Quick water then. Yeah. And that's, you know, it. I it's not like I haven't had the nozzle in my hand as an officer. Sure. So. It it's going to happen. How could it not? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but the importance then, I mean, you guys really put a big emphasis then on getting that line into position and getting water on that fire because you don't have any other choices. I mean, yes, when you're, yes. when you're getting, when you're playing catch up from the get, the most important thing to do is get that line laid of water on that fire. Yes. 
And a lot of times, and so that's uh, another funny thing is that sometimes someone seeing what we do from the outside may think that it's very dangerous because um, we do sometimes charge into vacants and, um, but it, it's just what we do. I mean, that's, yeah. that's our, that's our normal operation is, is vacants. So um, as I can understand somebody that's from, you know, out in the suburbs that don't have any vacants at all, that would never, you know, commit to that sort of thing. But, you know, like I always say, it's, it's usually pretty good practice to, to get inside there and, and do, do what you need to do. Well, in a town like yours too, those, those vacants are probably occupied or have, right. or have the potential to be. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time with people that watch from afar and think that they can, they can say what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, in a department like yours, like, you know, if we don't get into that vacant and get water on that fire quickly, this is going to go into a multi, you know, multi-company operation. We're going to tie up resources for other potential occupied fire, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. it's just the equation can go any which way, right? So the importance yeah. of putting water on that fire is, is everything. Yeah. How much do you love being a fireman? Oh, man, I love it. I, I you know, um, so at my... Uh, advanced status in the fire department a lot of people ask me how you know when i'm gonna retire your advanced status i'm writing that one down quote unquote advanced status go ahead well that's a that's a uh, fancy way of saying i'm the old guy now but a lot lot of people a lot of people ask me when i'm gonna retire and to tell you the truth when i got to the point where i really could retire and i could collect my pension you know due to my age uh, it's start. I mean, really, it makes me nervous. Like, I don't, I don't want to ever retire. I don't, I, uh, yeah. I didn't take the job for the money and I didn't take the job for retirement. I took the job cause I wanted to be a fireman and, and I still do. I, I just don't want to leave. Yeah. How, ever. How important is mentoring to you? I mean, you had an incredible mentor growing up and introducing you to the values of the fire service, probably set the pace for you as to how to go, where, what to do, how to act, how to behave, how to operate. I mean, you had, it seems like a pretty powerful presence in front of you that allowed you to find your way through his tutoring. How important is that in the fire service for others? Uh, I think it's absolutely paramount. I mean, um, I, you know, I tell everyone I've been super, super lucky to, to um, have the friends that I have and the guys that I look up to, um, the guys that I get to work with all the time, you know, like Ray McCormick and uh, Mike Champo. And I mean, just the, the list goes on and on. Sure. I, I, I would hate to keep going because I'd miss somebody and I'd miss somebody important. But um, it's for me, it's I mean, that's that's almost everything. I mean, the, you know, obviously uh, knowing the job and the experience of the job is is very important. But having someone that um, that you want to. Uh, I'm not necessarily impressed, but you don't want to let them down. You know, like I always, I always use the analogy of um, your dad can yell at you all day long, but if your grandpa gives you a uh, funny look, you know, you're, you're a lot more disappointed with the funny look than you are the, the scolding from your dad. So yeah, I just, you know, there's just people that I, I'm, I've never worked with that at work, but I just sure don't want to let them down. So I, you know, I think about that. And, and in the back at, of my mind. Yeah, but when you go to the firehouse, I mean, you're, you know, the way you guys operate, I think it's it's almost more intimate, if you will, the relationships that you have with your guys because there's 
tremendous. You don't you don't have the ability to micromanage, for lack of better terms. You don't have the ability to cover up for your people like a lot of bosses do today, right? Because they have uh, less fire, more people, and we can be a little bit more incompetent in in their skills and and so on, right? Which is happening all over for you. You guys are are pretty tight, I would have to assume, because of the way you guys operate. And so for for the mentoring aspect then, do you find yourself sitting in a similar role that that gentleman played for you for anyone? You know, that's that's one thing that I, I mean it's it's hard for me to grasp. Like I said, you know, um, you know, one day you're the rookie and then yep. the next day you're the old timer and and I just don't I mean I just don't think of myself that way. I mean, I I want to do the right thing. I want them to see me doing the right thing and hopefully they'll do the right thing when it's their turn to do the right thing. But as far as, um, you know, I'm not really, um, trying to, uh, overtly be a mentor, you know, like I'm going to mentor you. Well, I think the, the mentorship is organic, right? Like, you know, it's, you don't you don't know you're the senior man until you're just the senior man. Like it's just, just how it happens. Right. And like when it's forced, it's not authentic and it doesn't work, but when it's, when it's organic, and it, it time tells you so, but I have to think what you just said sets me up to truly believe that you are making an incredible impact on your people because you're carrying yourself to the same standards and abilities that you always did. And, you know, you want to be seen as an as, as somebody that's doing it correctly. And, and that matters because formally or informally, that is mentorship that people look at their boss or an older guy on the department and says, well, that guy's still doing it. You know, that guy, that guy is pulling his weight. He's still, he's not taking shortcuts. You know, he's not looking for a quick answer or a quick fix, you know? And I, yeah. I think that matters. I truly do. And yeah, that kind of parallels then something that I read online earlier. I do a little bit of homework before we start these podcasts. And, you know, I was reading a, a blog post you did on fire engineering and it was just pretty interesting about expertise and you, I don't even know when it's from. It could be 10 years ago. I have no idea, but you that talked was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> But, but I think that, like, truthfully, I think there's a lot of merit to that. And it's, you know, you talk about the importance of, you know, like, where are all the experts type things, you know? And I love this line. Should we even call it a profession for fear of being called a pro? It's that, <laughs> it's that silly, not silly, but it's it, it, silly humbleness that we all carry, you know? And that it's, and I think that's all part of it too. But at some point, it's okay to accept some credit and and it's okay to understand that your hustle and hard work is making an impact and uh and i i'd like to say that i bet you are on on the line with your guys and and so that does fall in line with you know the characteristics of that gentleman that laid that foundation for you i think it's important yeah i i do too it's it's very important and uh i can't um you know just the um like you said, trying to be humble, uh, obviously, I mean, I want to be humble. I don't want to be a braggart, but I mean, also I do want to make a difference. I mean, you know, I want to make a difference in in the civilians lives and I want to make a difference in, in my departments. Yeah. Um, day-to-day operations. even. Yeah. And so with all of this, I mean, from the, from the streets of Gary, Indiana, you're going to work, you're, you've seen a lot of fires over the years and so on. I'm sure that you've been involved in some close calls and in other situations. And I know we talked about it briefly before we started recording um, a class that you offer decisions under fire, right? I have that correct decisions under fire. Mm -hmm. So this Mm -hmm. is a class that you put together based on some of your own situations that you've been in. Yeah. Yeah. It started with, um, 
two of our guys are, are lieutenant on the engine and uh, rookie uh, got disoriented off the line, out of air, uh, ended up in a walk-in closet. And I found them. I didn't, it wasn't a heroic rescue of any kind. I was just doing my job. I was just, we were just doing a search and I happened upon them. And, uh, was it a known, I, was it, was it known that they were disoriented at the time? Was it a no, Mayday or no, anything like that? No, no, there, okay. no, there were nothing. No, so no you came across alarm. them in doing, performing your job. Yeah. I was just searching and I actually, I saw the, uh, the reflective trim on the air tank and I thought someone took theirs off. So okay. I picked, I picked it up. I was going to take it outside and it was attached to the rookie and I saw his, um, his name on his coat. And I, so I yelled for the captain cause he was out in the living room and I was yelled for him. And I said, I had a man down and so I, you know, trying to get him out. Unconscious. Then, yeah. Oh, wow. He was, he was having snoring respirations every, every few seconds. He wow. was, he was, and his mask was off as his air tank was turned off. No pass device that I heard. Um, so I'm I'm holding onto his tank and I bust out the window and I look out the window and the room next to me is blowing fire straight out mm. and you know I was, and I thought he was dead and I was like the whole time I I thought well I'm gonna die in this fire and trying to take out a, a dead body and then so I'm struggling with him he falls on top of me and I push him off and then I see the lieutenant that was laying underneath him oh my god and he's he's not breathing so. Um, uh, they, they, they got out, uh, they were, they were in a really bad shape. The doctor said the Lieutenant had like, a uh, a, another minute in that atmosphere before he would have died. Wow. They spent a couple of days in the hyperbaric chamber and came back to work. Um, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The firefighter, uh, worked for a few years. He went to, um, his wife, uh, lobbied the chief into sending him to the slow station out by the beach. And, um, and then he. He eventually left. He got a contract cutting grass or something. Yeah. Uh, the lieutenant stayed until uh, he retired as a battalion chief. Wow. Wow. That that's unbelievable. Talk about a little bit about the unconscious. In reality, I don't think it's discussed enough about one protecting our own. I mean, there's all these like classes and hands on about all oh, you know modify this, do this, blah blah blah, right? And that's. That's, yeah. I mean, to me, it's just the minutia of, of whatever the, the latest creation is to remove an unconscious <laughs> firefighter. But when it comes to reality, right, I mean, yeah. it is not an easy feat. You said that you thought you were going to die in there with them. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was completely resigned to the fact that I was going to die. Of taking these, and that's what I said. I, I was never, I was never frightened. I was like, I'm just like, it is what it is. I wasn't, I wasn't wow. afraid at all. And, uh, so um, when I'm, you know, Nate, fresh out of the academy, very lean. He's a tall, muscular guy. Um, and I pulled his tank completely off. He And he had everything completely, you know, the way it was supposed to be. Um, pulled his tank off like it wasn't even attached. Wow. And then, and then I, you know, sit there down. And I ended up pulling his coat off before I even get him out of the closet. So that conversion of the waist strap is super important. If you're going to use the air tank. That's super important, you know, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and people, people say it, but I mean, and, until you've like, I mean, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how easy it was to take that thing off of him. It just came slipped right off. He was completely unconscious. So he wasn't resisting like, you know, like they do in yeah. training. Well, and this, this is why I was asking these questions because this is to talk to people that were directly involved in a fire unconscious firefighter removal. 
this is where you truly gain insight as to what does work, except for, it, it, from training on the, the apparatus bay floor, right? It's a big difference, yeah. big difference. Uh, oh, yeah, big difference. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the, in the, the class is how your mind works with that stress, that, that extreme stress. Um, because, uh, like I said, there was a lot of time compression, auditory yeah. exclusion, things that I didn't remember. No one remember everybody's stories was different. Yeah. Um, they didn't remember anything cause they had so much carbon monoxide on board. Um, and then, so he goes out, he goes out the door. We hand him out to the door. There's a couple guys outside. They ended up uh, dragging him out, out front. And then we shoved the Lieutenant out the window onto a ladder, which was, I mean, it was a lot like the Denver drill. It was very yeah. narrow. Uh, it was a walk-in closet, very high, small window. He was a big fella. Um, we were able to get him out on the ladder, but it was tough. It was, it was like, uh, you know, wrestling a big, uh, trash bag full of jello. I mean, he was so limp. Wow. All the, all the meanwhile, you said the room next door was blowing fire. Oh so- yeah. The, so the, the, it was the bathroom and the bathroom had, the tub had collapsed into the first floor the floor that we were standing on. Um, the floor had separated from the baseboard about four inches just sagging in the middle. Wow. Cards were stacked, man. Yeah. Wow. So let me ask you this. You come away from that. You go back to the firehouse that night, right? Or that day. And that day. Yeah. That was right away in the morning. So that's the first beginning of your tour, if you will. Yep. Yep. And not only, not only do you have to go through the rest of your day, right? But then you, you drive home from work the next morning or running 24, whatever you run. Right. Yeah. Did you, what was that conversation to yourself? I mean, did you have an immediate conversation about like, I got to deal with this. I got to figure this out. Was there any, I'm just curious, like what, what that looks like. I haven't had to have that conversation with myself in all the years that I've been a fireman. Yeah. So that, that all started with, I saw as soon as we got him out, I went back down. There was exterior stairwell in the back. I went down that laid the snow for a little bit to cool off. Uh, cause of the exhaustion and, yeah. um, and then I went back in cause they were obviously still mopping up, uh, after they made their way to the hospital. But, <clears throat> uh, there was one of our guys that was in there that was having a really tough time. Like he was, he was in the inside, but he wasn't able to work. And so, um, that kind of started the whole thing because he was, he was with them. He was, he was on the line with them. And so he was having a hard time with that. And so, yeah. We kind of, and it's kind of funny because, I mean, the fire was literally still going on and we're in the first floor talking about it, you know, so, um, you know, that's uh, um, one of the tough things, man. You, you just, you got to keep going. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that if, uh, if those guys would have died at the scene, I'm sure that they would have let us go home that day. But I mean, you know, like, um, I didn't think they were going to, I still didn't think they were going to make it even after they made it to the hospital. I was, you know, it, it was, right. it wasn't, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. So, um, we kind of had a little bit of a debriefing when we got back, everybody wrote down what happened, what they saw and all that stuff. And then, uh, we actually had, uh, so they had a couple guys come in to, to cover those two guys on the engine. And so we ran the rest of the shift. We had a report of a fire, but it, it turned out to be nothing, but that was really weird too. And we're going to another fire that same day. And it was really weird. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I'm getting at too, right? It's like, that's all part of the conversation you got to have with yourself is like, all right, I got to go back in there. Like, you yeah. know, you, you were just in a, in a fire earlier that day where you probably peaked out almost at 
at the highest exhaustion you can have because I can only imagine what, everything that it takes to remove unconscious firefighters under those conditions, and not just one but two fellas, right? And yeah. and then back out of a few hours later, you're 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 going to another report of fire that potentially is going to put you in a spot that those guys were just in. Yeah, that's a psyche game, no? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you know, I mean, um, uh, that's just and and I'm going to be honest, you know, not. Everyone is as resilient with that sort of thing. Yes. Some people, it affects a lot different. Um, I, and I've always considered, you know, I've had discussion with my wife too about this. I always, I've always felt very lucky about how, I guess, how I deal with it. I, I don't really have a big problem with it. Yeah, I don't I've either. had friends that have had big problems. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I understand how that works. It's just everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking, yeah. I mean, I haven't gone through a situation of removing an unconscious firefighter from the fire ground. I haven't had to, I haven't had to do that, but a lot of other situations, but I seem to be able to unpack it pretty well myself and, uh, and not to let it affect me as far as I know. But then again, right. Right. You know, this thing might peak its head in 10 years from now and be like, where'd this (laughs) come from? You know, exactly. You could, I mean, you could go to something tomorrow, you know, and that's, that's the strange thing about how, how our brains work, you know? Yeah, for sure. So talk to me a little bit about your own career then. I mean, have you had any close calls yourself? Because I, I believe you have, right? With, with yeah. um, you know, which also led to decisions under fire. Yeah, the, the um, so uh, it was actually on fire. We, I got there, I was detailed to another engine, uh, and I had an acting uh, captain that was a battalion chief that was on his way out. He was, you know, coasting to retirement. So we get this extra alarm fire and a taxpayer um, we're, we were actually first due, but we stopped at the hydrant because there was so, so much smoke. And then, and so I'm opening this hydrant. It was the most ridiculous thing in the world. The hardest hydrant I've ever opened in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm, I, I get back to the, to the front of the building and the, my boss, my acting boss is talking to the chief. He's not, he doesn't even have an air tank on him. Like, well, he's not going to do anything. So I pair up with the, the second due engine. And uh, we look around for the fire. We can't find it. You know, it's not the second floor. We look in the first floor. It was a flower shop. And we could see the glow in the back from the from the display cases. And they thought that that's what it was. And we get back there now. It's just a display case. Coming back out, we see it coming through the vent in the floor. So it's in the basement. Trying to find the basement. Couldn't find it. They pull us out. Floor sagging, whatever. So at this time, I had already used up uh, my whole tank it was on bells i shut it off yeah because we were out front shut it off um and we're just standing around and some one of the chiefs said um did anybody check the neighboring department or apartment to see if there was uh, any communication of fire so i was not even thinking i just went inside another guy went with me uh who came on the job about the same time as me um we ended up hooking a bunch of ceiling move into the second room, hook some more ceiling. There's no fire showing. And then there's a collapse in the building next door and it pushes all the smoke and, and heated gases into the, into the apartment where we were. So mm. we got split up. I dropped down, put my mask on, turned it on. I got, I, I don't know how many breaths, not very many breaths before it started sucking in my face. It was on bells as soon as I turned it on. Yeah. Started sucking in my face. Um, tried to get out. I ended up under a table and I was like struggling. It was, it was, uh, I mean, I could feel the, um, 
the soot particles in my teeth. It was like crunching in my teeth and wow. feel the snot coming out of my yeah. nose and just exhausted. And uh, so I uh, I laid down. I was under, like I said, I was caught up in this table. So I laid down to try and take catch my breath. And um, and then I started thinking, you know, like, well, who's going to come and get me? Because I don't even know if anybody knows where I'm at or, you know, what, what I was doing or any of that stuff. Um, and then I thought about, you know, my wife, my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time. We were, we were she was my girlfriend, but, yeah. um, you know, somebody's going to have to go tell her who's going to go tell her. And then, oh my God, she's going to have to tell my daughter. And I was like, well, I don't, you know, first of all, I've been telling him my whole career that what a great fireman I am. <laughs> uh, 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 I love that. I'm good. So, yeah, then, yeah. Not gonna uh, yeah, get, I'm, I'm, not gonna get me. That's right. It's not gonna get me. It never got me, Stephen. Anyway, mm. um, but you know, it's like uh, um, back to that that humble bit. You know, like not, it's not, I guess it's not with my my girlfriend. You know, I was telling her uh, I was the world's greatest firefighter. You know. Yeah. And so I joke about that, but I mean, really. I was going to be embarrassed because I did so, so many stupid things. And I, I mean, I was, I was literally, even though I was fearing for my life at the time, I was thinking, you know, how embarrassed I'm going to be when they find me, you know, with no air and by myself and all that stuff. So, um, you know, thinking about them is what made me push on. Like instead of giving up and laying there until someone came and got me, I, because I was thinking about them, I was able to, push on a little bit and I was able to find my way out. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> I laid there for a very long time on the back porch and, uh, the, our chief of training walked up and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, it's just, just taking a break, man. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotta go change my bottle. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and I, I never told, I never told anybody that story for years and years. I was so embarrassed. Cause I mean, I did so many dumb things. I mean, I, every if I would have died there or got injured, it was completely on me. I did. No one told me to do anything that I didn't do on my own. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, let me, I mean, you bring up and I'm sure you talk about this in your class, but when they start talking about the issuance of maydays, right? I mean, now, you know, everybody's carrying radios and so on. So typically, you know, yeah. the, the ability to announce, especially if you're conscious and alert, you know, you can, you can call mayday, right? And yeah. I don't know your situation, whether you had a radio, didn't, whatever, right? But the issue is, is what we're, what's come out of a lot of conversations is the fact that people are afraid to call a mayday because they're worried about being embarrassed about being put in a situation that they might not be able to get out of. Yes. And I, you know, the, I know that um, everyone's training when they talk about maydays and training, they, they say, you know, don't be embarrassed. It's okay if we cancel it. But in reality, I mean, I mean, I know that I still think about it. I mean, I know that um, I'm not going to let my uh, bravado get in the way of, you know, coming home. Yeah. So I'm going to do it, but it's still in the back of my mind. It's still going to be there. You know, I'm, I'm oh, going to give 100%. it one shot. Like, <laughs> hey, I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> Maybe I'll look over here for, you know, for just a second, give it a shot, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, that's, that, that is one thing. And I know that, um, uh, instance of maydays when, when they've, when they've said it's okay to do it, uh, a lot of 
departments have seen a vast increase of, of Mayday's calls. Yes. So, yeah. so that's working. Yeah. That's so a good thing. Yeah. And then the other issue, too, that I think we need to do a much better job in training with, and correct me if I'm wrong or let me know your insights on this, is you got to fight like hell to live. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And that's, I, it, I, and I do talk about that because, like I said, at that fire, I, I was ready to give up because I was just so exhausted. Yeah. And um, you do. That's, the, you know, a lot of people die because they give up. A lot of people freeze to death on Mount Everest because they sit down. You yes. Know, it's not because they're still walking. It's that's good. That's down. a good way so, to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're going, knowing that there's a point where you will give up and then continue to fight through that. Like, Hey, this is where I'm, this is where I feel like giving up, but I know that if I do, it's going to be bad. So, um, you know, continue. And then the analogy that I use is, um, they always tell pilots to fly the plane until it crashes, never give up. So yeah, fly that thing until it, until it goes in the ground. Yeah. And you know, and I, and where I, you know, the other aspect of this too, and that what concerns me is though, is when we do these, mayday conversations and so on there's this pretense that somebody the fast team or another company is coming to get you and you know yeah that might be the fact but man the clock ticks real quick and if you're not trying to self-extricate or rescue yourself or fight to stay alive i don't know when they're getting there and you know we gotta train and educate our people that the first line of defense of surviving is on them and I think we need to do a better job at that. That's just my opinion. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, my, my opinion is, uh, you know, pr- prevention. Prevention is sure. worth a pound. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So um, if we can avoid, if we can see, know those things, and that's why it's important to go back and, and look at all of those reports, even though some of them are a little clouded, you know, I mean, uh, NIOSH reports yep. aren't exactly mm-hmm. known for their accuracy, but right. Um, we have to go back and see what that, what, what led up to that and, and kind of recognize that because it does those, those red flags do kind of get out of control. They, you know, you're like, uh, like if you look at a NIOSH report and it says communication was bad at this incident, well, communication is always bad. I mean, I don't know about your fire department. Yep. I just know my fire department is horrible. It's a given. Yeah. 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 We used to have chiefs that would point at you with the <laughs> antenna on their radio instead of talking on the radio, you know, so <laughs> It's yeah. just, you know, old school guys, you know. Yeah, for sure. So um, so, so seeing that and, and recognizing that there's a problem early and preventing it is going to go a million miles farther than any RIT team in the world because it's that's a reactionary force. I mean, yes. and, you know, if you look at all the, um, all the um, historical uh, documentation of, of RIT rescues or rescues of, of Maydays is – it's the people that were already inside the building. So that's a good argument for increasing staffing at, at fires as opposed to, you know, staffing a huge RIT team. Not that there's anything wrong with RIT teams, but um, no, but you're, typically you're 100... those people have been rescued by people that are inside. And, and it you has did it been yourself. To, yeah. We just it, talked yeah, about exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't activated as a RIT team. No, you're doing your normal, normal duties, man. Pack the building yep. with people and we're going to find each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Tripping over each other. Yeah. <laughs> in most cases, right? Especially yeah. a few minutes in, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yep. yeah. And, and you'll find them on the stairs. 
So that's oh, just yep. a given. Yep. So, Airways, hallways, doorways. I love that. So listen, you, you're now teaching. You're doing your decisions under fire. You do a couple other classes. Uh, we talked about the the heavy, heavy rescue conference in Syracuse by Augie Matt and take the door training, right? And you were mm-hmm. there a part of that as well. Um, does your does your back cover now with you and the street credit of Gary, Indiana? Is that where you want to be? I mean, is that the pedigree now has allowed you to be what you wanted to be and you're instructing and, and passing it on. Right. The, yeah, you know, I, mm-hmm. go ahead. There's, I mean, there's no, uh, I don't think there's any formula for that, you know, and I've had people, I've had a lot of people ask me that cause you know, they see the, they, they see the pictures of, of, uh, travel and they think, Oh, this is very glamorous and you're probably making millions of dollars. <laughs> Uh, when in fact <laughs> I've, I've spent, and you can ask my wife, she'll probably give you an entire break. She's, she's, probably got, a she's got a spreadsheet, brother. Yeah. yeah. She knows yeah. Of, of all those times when I, you know, I mean, even a, when I really started going out of town, they were just covering my trip and, sure. and my hotel sure. and nothing else. Right. So I was spending money just to go teach. And I, and I mean, realistically that got me to where I'm at now, but, um, you know, that, that's the reality of it. A lot of people, like I said, a lot of people ask me for the formula and I really don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I can give you what I did, but I don't know if, um, you know, if acting a fool in the pipe band is, is your, you know, your bag. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. Right. But, but it fuels you no? Yeah, sure. I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% glad to be where I'm at and yeah. to have the opportunities that I've been given. Uh, and, it, it really, it truly is not about the money. No, and I, it can never be right. I mean, it's 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 organic, right? I mean, to be able to to be able to bring it through and to relate and educate on a level that I think you make an impact, it has to be authentic and real, and that isn't driven by the almighty dollar. And I think that uh, you know people really need to understand that a lot of guys that are out there teaching. And, and paying it forward, um, other than costs associated with it, you know, nobody's getting rich on it. And it's done in a way that uh, promotes the betterment of the job. And and I, I think that that just needs to be um, underlined a little bit in the conversations that are happening because people really don't understand that. And, um, you know, we need more people to step up. We need the next generation of instructors to step up and um, and and start putting themselves out there and understanding that it's a it's a long game to be able to put yourself in a position of teaching. You know, anybody can be instructor overnight, but they're gonna, you're going to be you know people will be able to see through you and understand that your message isn't of value and you're going to peter out real quick, right? But it's yeah. The, oh yeah, it's the guys that put in that hustle, that long grind, and they actually have a love for teaching and paying it forward. Those are the guys that are most successful. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's a long game. And I think that there's been a lot of people that have, um, you know, started out strong, uh, but then they realize they're not, yeah. they're not making, you know, that 5k a day or something. <laughs> <laughs> something crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And, and, and then and, they kind of, they kind of peter out because, because they were, you know, they, they had this, uh, this illusion that, that they were going to be making money or, you know, doing it all the time, or it was very glamorous because it's really not. Yeah. Depending on, you know, depending on who you're teaching for, you might end up in some flea bag motel, you know, with an overdose in next door. <laughs> <laughs> I, sounds like you're talking from experience. <laughs> 
I don't think I I don't think I was at that conference, but uh, it just sounds like a good time. Sounds like a good time. Hilton, it is not. Ritz Carlton, it is not. It was not. No, it was not. (laughs) I love that. Well, listen, the one thing that strikes me about you two is you seem to like to have fun. You seem to have a sense of humor on you. You like to laugh. Uh, your shit, there's, it seems like everything I see of you with the, with the other guys and so on, it's a lot of shenanigans. It's the brotherhood, it's the laughter, uh, and so on. And that falls right in line with, as we're talking about training and we're saying it's a long game, you in fact are doing training on a short term called training (laughs) seconds. How about that segue, huh? (laughs) <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I, I was digging deep for it, man. I was yeah, trying you, to figure out how are, I was going to get there. You are a professional. So, well, let's not get carried away. I mean, that that is that is definitely not no, true. That, that was very that was very good though. But very how good. did how did that all come about? And let me preface it this way: uh, my first my first uh, impressions of training seconds, or my first interaction with training seconds, was I was just scrolling through social media. I didn't even I wasn't following you at the time. I I didn't know, and. It comes up, and I, I watch this video of you throwing an alley apple, quote, unquote, and I go, this is, I, excuse my language, I go, this is fucking gold. I go, I'm not really sure who this guy is other than his mustache, and he looks like a fireman, but I go, that's freaking hilarious. Talk to me about training seconds, man. So, so it was, uh, um, we do a, uh, a uh, Ohio State Fire School in Bowling Green, Ohio, just south of Toledo. And um, it's uh, uh, Champo and uh, JJ Cassetta are the leads for the for the class, and there's some other outstanding guys: Ryan Mars, Hauser, Paul Oxema, uh, Steve Robertson, uh, Chris Major, a uh, couple other guys. Yeah. Um, but so one day we were <laughs> we were training, and I, we were uh, maybe having some beverages afterwards, and I asked Champ, I said, "Hey, man." Uh, you know, you're doing these training minutes, man. How come, uh, <laughs> how come no one's calling me to do training minutes, man? I think I'm just gonna, I'm gonna branch out on my own and do training seconds. <laughs> and that's just, I mean, it, that's just, it just, it was just yeah, a yeah. joke. And then, yeah. and then the next day, I did. Um, we were doing a, we had an acquired structure in Toledo. We were doing flat roof operations, and um, I had one of the students just run the saw, and I acted like I was, you know, explaining something. And you couldn't hear me because of the saw. Yeah, right. And then it's like that was that was training seconds. And then and you know, I, and I just shared it with the group. You know, we have, we have a couple of videos that we shared with the group. Sure. Are, you know, hilarious. But um, so I shared it with the group, and then uh, nothing ever came of it. Uh, the next year, we were we were at another required structure, and we were talking about it. And this uh, one of the students, we were do, I was doing metal cutting on this vacant property. We had a little prop set up on this on the side of it. And he was cutting the metal and some sparks fell down in the rock wool insulation and it started this, this, the insulation on fire. Yeah. And, uh, he was, uh, he was from a very, very rural department and he had never, you know, I don't know if he's even been to a fire, you know, cause he was there <laughs> for the class and, and he was all excited. He's like, yeah. let me get the, cause we had a couple of water cans. He's sure. like, let me get the water can. And I was like, no, it's okay, man. I've, I've done this before. We're, we're going to be all right. And so we just keep cutting and this fire is going in the stud bay and he's like standing there the whole time, just holding this water can, wanting to put it out. I kept telling him, tell him, Hey, hold on, hold on. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> so I was like, this is a perfect training seconds. You know, say, Hey, if you get a stud bay fire, just put it out, you know, don't, don't panic, you know? So, so we ended up going, you know, after the students left, we just went around the building, just 
filming, I think we filmed about eight or 10 training seconds right away, right there. And that Allie Apple was one of them. Um, and then, and while we're there, I just made a Facebook page, you know, on my phone there. And I, you know, it had a couple pictures and I put it in there and I uploaded the video and it it kind of really took off. That's pretty funny. (laughs) You know what? It's such a good, it's such a good mix of like, and not only that, but it's like the, the dry humor of it. Right. Like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, that's the whole point of it. And I, I just, I love that. I love that type of stuff. I also love older guys having some fun with this stuff too, right? Because, you know, being able to share that side, not everybody gets to see the relationships, the inner workings that you have with your friend group, right? And like, yeah. you know, guys go to conferences and they see you speak, you know, speak on on the on the platform or whatever. You come down, typically you'll sit in, watch the other guys do their shows or, you know, their conference and lecture, right? And then they see you guys high five and talking, laughing, telling stories like you guys have been best friends forever. And we need to share that with these younger generations that it's okay to, to have fun with the guys and to let your guard down and, and so on. So I, I think the training seconds as fun as it is, right. And these little, these little short clips and so on. I think there's a lot more to it just from watching from the outside in is that you share with people the next generation is these younger guys that it's okay to love this job. It's okay to have some laughs. It's okay to let your guard down a little bit and be chummy with, with guys from all over the country and enjoy that. And I, I just, I don't know, to me, man, training seconds, I think is fantastic. I really do. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of older guys that I call you guys. I mean, it, I, I hate, I don't, I don't even want to say this to you, but I call you guys like the one percenters. It's the guys that, you know, have put in so much time and energy into this fire service. And in return, what you guys get out of it is incredible friendships with brothers from all over the country. Right. And oh, yeah. all, all over the world, if you will. And, you know, and so I, you guys need to share that with these other kids, these younger guys, the other people in the fire service to know that that's what this is about, man. It's about getting out and meeting people and making relationships and going to conferences and bettering yourself while having a laugh. And, uh, and I think that's important. So I think what you're doing is fantastic, Ron. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, man. Keep sharing it, brother. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I got a bunch of them. I, I, I try to, you know, put them out. I don't want to, I don't want to flood the market. Oh, right. Yeah. I get it. I, <laughs> I want to, you know, put them out, but, but, yeah. you know, and that's, uh, I've often said that the whole, the, the networking and the, and the camaraderie after the show, uh, goes a long, long way, yeah. um, with me anyway. And I've always tried to share it with the younger guys. I've always yeah. encouraged guys, hey, come on out. You know, we're, we're going to be telling funny stories or, you know, having a couple of cocktails or whatever. I, I don't get into the shenanigans like I used to get into, you know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not causing any trouble, you know. Yeah, nothing I to, get it. Nothing get to get it. In, in any trouble for, over, but. No, but that's fun, and and that's important. Yeah. And we talked about it earlier. I, I did a uh, episode with Mike Dugan earlier, and he talked about you know approach us, come say hello. Like don't be, don't not reach out. You know, if you see us at a conference or after we talk, come up and say hello, introduce yourself, tell me what your thoughts are, tell me you know introduce yourself, come have a beer at the bar later on, whatever it is. But like, oh yeah, this yeah. is that, you know that's um I I told uh someone not too long ago because he said that. Um, he saw me at FDIC and he wanted to come up and say something. And I'm like, why didn't you? You know, we we could have been friends for almost a whole year, you know, until now. And but but 
that's the one good thing about training seconds is, I mean, you know, that has everyone comes up and does something. I mean, everywhere I go, there's always one person. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, keep doing it, brother. And uh, listen, man, this has been a lot of fun today, getting to know you a little bit more. Um, like I said, when we first started, I really don't know you well. And uh, and I hope that uh, we do some projects down the road together and and uh, continue the I conversation, man. But this has been a lot of fun today, and I don't want to hold you up. It's uh, trying to keep these episodes under an hour. So uh, just a lot of fun. And I, I truly appreciate you sharing your stories today. There's a couple, you know, close-to-home stories there that you shared. And I, I think the message that came comes from them and the class that you're offering now, Decisions Under Fire, along with some of the other classes that you do and teach across the country, uh, you're making an impact, brother. You're making a difference. And um, I think your mentor from long ago would be very proud of who you've become in the fire service. So well done, brother. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for tuning in today. And uh, Ron, thank you for being here. And uh, stay right where you are. And then I'm going to just sign off and then we'll chat for another minute. Okay, so hang out. Sure. Cool. Everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Captain Ron Smith, G-Ron. Wait, did we even talk about G-Ron? We didn't. Brother, hold on. Nope. <laughs> Needle off the... We're not, we're not closing out. I got to know about this because the couple guys that I talked to in the last two days that I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm talking with Ron Smith today. They're like, oh, G-Ron? I go, what is... Where, give me the rundown, brother. All right. So... um, so it was a friend of mine. We were, we, um, he's, uh, he's a firefighter in, um, Palm beach County, Florida. Yeah. And, uh, he, we, he was in a pipe band. We were always hanging out together. Um, and he loved doing karaoke. So he loves doing, uh, uh, ace of spades. Right. So <laughs> I did, um, I did, uh, I did rapper's delight without uh. looking at the screen. That's and he's like training he's like, second. Yep, go ahead. He's like, he's like, oh my god, you you did the whole song without even looking at the words. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I've known it since I was a kid, you know, growing up. Sure. And so he 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 said he said, man, you're so ghetto. And then he that just turned into he called me ghetto Ron because he said there there was another guy that was in the you know in the circle, if you will. His name was Ron too, and he's like, you know, and he said that he was talking to somebody, and he said, which which Ron are you talking about? And he's like, oh, ghetto Ron. And so that's, uh, because you look, cause you look like ghetto Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, brother, that's... So, it, so it's stuck. Yeah. It's stuck. Yeah. Know. Hell yeah. It's through no, you know, you can't choose your own nicknames. Cause I wouldn't have chose that one. <laughs> no, I mean that it doesn't stick when you pick your own, man. We, we run right past that and make formulate our own opinions. So that's awesome, bro. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, man. I, no I meant to ask you about that early on. So, get Ron. Well, brother, hey, get Ron. Hang right there. We're going to be right back. So, all right. Guys, that was Ron Smith, also known as G Ron. Anyway, captain out of Gary, Indiana. Pretty powerful podcast today with with uh, Ron, and I, I thank him for the message and the and the lessons learned and and uh, sharing it forward. So, do me a favor, take what you heard today, take it to the kitchen table, talk about the job, because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. For Jeremy, National Fire Radio, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Take care, be safe.